welcome to episode 107 of Friends of Film, a podcast covering latest news and releases in the movie world. On this episode, we'll cover John Wick 3's villain, Spider-Man and Venom, a rumored DC slate, and more after review. I, Tanya. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by the biggest fan of Ryan Johnson's Twitter game, Josh Straley. <laughs> he was dunking on everyone this weekend, or... Yeah, this past week. Yeah, this past week. The first with the the, path, the Jedi Path book, mm-hmm. which was just excellent, excellent. And then uh, he followed it up with um, a takedown. Oh, he, he used the profanity that I guess I can't. No, no, no. I know what you're say on to. too. But it was just like I was like, yeah, that that about sums up at the most primal level my feelings of the last Jedi haters and yeah. uh, you know but actually you know it's pretty great group of people absolutely but uh, hey everyone um, don't forget you can get all of our latest updates on Facebook and Twitter at Friends and Film and be sure to check out the rest of our shows on iTunes Stitcher and SoundCloud and if you can leave us a review it really helps yes it will and as I mentioned at the top we are going to be doing an interview of Itania this week uh don't know if we'll get into spoilers, but we'll even constitute as spoilers for this um, because it is the true story of Tanya Harding's life. Um, but it is Josh's week to start it off. And what'd you think? I Tanya rocks. <laughs> it is. It, I don't know how you pitch this movie, but it's just it's it comes across like a madhouse in the in the early beginnings. I guess. I mean, we have fourth wall breakings, freeze framings, a mockumentary style. The, some pretty great comedy and then also jabbed in there is some pretty gruesome i mean you know and visceral like you know images and scenes of like abuse and uh you know just tanya harding's life does not seem did not seem easy does not seem easy in this film and it makes it super clear um I, i mean just for starters margot robbie crushes it uh and she was a A-list actress already, mm-hmm. but there's no doubt anymore that you know she should be paid with the best of them. She should get she should get the roles with the best of them, and uh, she just inhabits Harding. And I mean, I don't know the real Tanya Harding, but here she's amazingly sympathetic, but also just um, not distant, but so like over this or like this happened. I'm I'm dealing with it, and I'm like ready to get on with it but at the same time you know you just can't help but feel for someone who got caught up in all of this yeah. and that seems to be the stance the movie ends up taking and uh robbie completely buys it but also in here is allison janey who's the closest thing we have to a villain i suppose i mean at least mm-hmm. in tanya's life and i love allison janey but lavanya i hate her <laughs> i hate her i mean you know like th- that's where all the sympathy really comes from in a lot of ways. And I just, from, I guess, I mean, the, the, the pairing knife or the, like the knife and just oh, yeah. all of the training aspects that she put Tanya through and how Janie portrays him as just being like so disinterested and like apathetic about the cruelty that she's doing. Just kind of like, yeah, I'm doing that. It's not any, with any kind of emotion. It's almost just sort of like backhanded, mm-hmm. passive aggressive, and she she absolutely does a phenomenal job portraying that. Um, but I just I my blood boiled, like 
any time she was on screen. And, and, and like, and I guess in a good way and a bad way, mm-hmm. but I just, it was so conflicting. But, um, yeah, the, the movie really takes its crux, though, kind of like in the opposite of our last week review. Uh, we talked about the post yes. and kind of how it exemplifies journalism and the news and things like that. But the kind of like the the thesis of Itani is that the media is awful and people's opinions are kind of awful and we're all just looking to like kind of like make harsh judgments. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of where the mockumentary style kind of comes in and it just it works really well. And I just couldn't believe it. Um I get I mean it's re- like it is a collaboration between Craig Glepsy, who like, what movies has he had really done other than Finest Hours, which I didn't uh, see. Finest Hours and Million Dollar Arm. Exactly. Two like good Disney movies, but nothing close to this. No, nothing close to this. And then you pair. I mean, so he's him working with Steven Rogers' script, and then Tantiana Regal in the editing room. Just, I mean, created like a. Uh, a a film that just feels out of place, it, like you know, and when we talk Oscar lineups, mm-hmm. and, th- and like this could should have really just been a documentary, you know, put out rather than, um, you know, an Oscar caliber film, right? And there's just there's just there's a lot to love. Um, Sebastian Stan, it, he is a you know a total bumpkin slob in this, but kind of like in a semi-lovable way yeah. when he's not abusing mm-hmm. Tanya or anything like that which is the, the nuance that they're able to get out of everyone's performance is impeccable but Sebastian Stand you know with his accent and his that, that mustache um, is is fantastic uh, and um, I feel like I'm rambling so I'll, I'll, I'll trim it down here but uh, overall I just super enjoyed it and it's for and a half out of five ticket stubs. Okay. There we go. Uh, I'm pretty much right in line with you. I mean, really, this is Margot Robbie's movie. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, she's just spectacular. I mean, if Tanya Harding is a star on ice, I mean, Margot is a better star on the big screen. I mean, she is just so good. And, like, you know it from seeing, you know, like, Wolf of Wall Street and stuff that she's done before. And even, like, a movie like Focus that's not very good. You know, she was still good in it. Yeah. Um, but then there's like moments in this movie where like you see like her Harley Quinn shine through for like a split second. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's interesting. But then like she's just so good and she gets such a wide uh, range of emotions to play with, whether it's being sympathetic or being uh, cruel to other people. But then also like there's the moments where like they break the fourth wall and like she's talking to the camera or she's like, this didn't ever happen, but we're right. going to show in the movie anyways. Um, where she gets to be a little bit more crazy and fun, and uh, but then like you know she also gets to have heartbreak near like close to the end, where she kind of has like an emotional breakdown, and uh, I mean the the emotional uh, gamut that Robbie goes the through range, yeah. is uh, in about thirty seconds is pretty incredible. Um, I mean Sebastian Stan, like you said, I think he probably gets his best performance in this movie uh, of his career, um, just because he he kind of gets more to do than I think a lot of his typical roles, but also like his character is really interesting and complex. Um, and Alice and Janney, I mean, Oh my gosh, just give her an Oscar already. I mean, she is um, mm-hmm. so spectacular. Like, yeah, you hate her every second she's on screen, but like Janney like makes that work 
really well in a yeah, way. You're like, I want a spinoff. <laughs> I want right. to know how you became so awful. Yeah, I want a spinoff about the bird like right. <laughs> that just like <laughs> yes. sits on her shoulder and eats out of her ear, and it's very weird. Um, <laughs> but like, it's it's super good, and I think a lot of the credit of this movie has to go to Craig Gillespie, who like, like I mentioned, you know, a movie like Million Dollar Arm mm-hmm. or The Finest Hours, two like Disney kind of heartwarming movies that he goes from doing those to this and it's just like how how do how does he make that jump to have such a movie that is so expertly directed that he can do really cool one takes he can do um you know uh it's really nice editing sequences together and does a really good job of meshing um or keeping the varying tones of the movie whether it's you know, the kind of lighthearted, jokey, poking fun at this story and the yeah. circumstances to then the really dark elements. That's like, wow, like Tanya Harding had a really difficult life, but it doesn't feel out of place throughout the whole movie. I think there's a couple of instances where it's like, oh, man, am I supposed to like laugh at this moment or mm-hmm. am I supposed to feel bad for Tanya Harding? Because there's like a moment in like this um uh, what I don't uh, like all all these like a montage basically of like her as a little bit of a younger okay yep ch- uh, child and you see like Allison Jane just like kick her off a chair because like she's doing to talk back she's like mm-hmm. she I think she talked back to her and she's like you don't talk back to me and she yeah. just kicks her and like it's kind of played as a comedic moment but like wow that's like <laughs> right that's pretty ab- abusive it's like the frantic McDormand part in um. Three billboards where she groin kicks those kids. Oh yeah, You're like that was terrible. But I, I'm that was laughing. Funny. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. and it's like I don't know if I'm supposed to be. Like I did, and yeah. so it's like I think it's just some of those moments um, where I'm like, man, I don't know if this is like if I'm reacting the way I'm supposed to be reacting. But I think the script is super, super smart, mm-hmm. uh, well written. I th- like all the dialogue, whether it's the fourth wall breakings or uh, just the interchanges between the characters. I think it's all done really, really well. Um, the comedy overall was hilarious i laughed way more than i thought i was going to be um and i was but i was surprised that it focused more on tanya harding's life as a whole as opposed to focusing on the incident yeah. with nancy kerrigan um which i thought was interesting because i thought it would be more about the nancy kerrigan thing and it, it does get to that point but the first half hour to 45 minutes there's it's really just seeing tanya harding kind of develop as a skater and you're like okay yeah we're getting there. So like it, it takes a little bit, I think for the movie to get to a place where I was expecting it to be for most of it. Um, but I mean, once it gets to that and it gets to like the conspiracy theory, basically right. around like, did Tanya Hardy know about it or not? And mm-hmm. then like the plan that Galuli and Sean make is, I mean, they're just so dumb that it's just like <laughs> mind blowing. <laughs> You're like, how can two people be so dumb? And to quote, um, Bobby uh, Cavalli, who like, plays this like reporter in the movie, he's like, "There's a, there are a lot of boobs in this story, but he's <laughs> the right. but they're the biggest ones." And you're like, "Yes, they are. Like they're complete idiots." Mm-hmm. And I think they played up really well. I, the uh, actor who plays Sean, I mean, him being like, "Oh yeah, I'm a I'm a special ops uh, oh, agent yeah, yeah. trained in all these things." And there was like, "No, you're not." He's like, "No, I am." <laughs> like, "No, we've we've checked. You you've never done this." He's like, "But I have." I I like I I, uh, I aced a quiz in a travel magazine or something. You're like what? Like you're no you're you're no expert on threat like right <laughs> anything. And it's uh, it's so good. Um, I mean I'll definitely it's a movie I'll definitely watch again. I'm 
I hope it gets a lot of love um, the day you guys are hearing this because that's when Oscar nominations are announced. So hopefully this will be a movie that is just getting a nomination for Margot uh, for Best Female Lead, for Allison Janney for Best um, Supporting Female. And also, I mean, I don't think it's that likely because it's it's a pretty strong year for directors. But I think Craig Gillespie, what he did here is – uh, absolutely deserving and maybe even the script as well so uh i'm gonna go four and a half ticket stubs out of five as well all right stellar um diane or the julian nicholson who played mm-hmm. diane rollinson also very good i was yes. totally surprised i mean she's kind of like the, the the light in the darkness of um tanya's training i mean she's right. the she's the she's the skating teacher that kind of like reaches out to her and who's like oh, like the warm hug in the yeah. midst of uh alice and Janie's, you know cool grip so uh it was definitely uh definitely overjoyed by her performance. yeah and uh the guy who plays sean is paul walter hauser paul and he walter is hauser. he he was great just like the way he was able to play dumb <laughs> but then also like he kind of has like almost a villainous turn at one point you're like this is yeah, like he's like, no, I'm in control. Nobody makes fun of him. You're like, well, what, where's this coming right. from? Uh, um, almost kind of like Steve Bush, not not Steve Buscemi in Fargo, but just like he's like these guys are bums, but they can also be super vicious. Yeah, but he had like like the lying to himself part where he like he just kind of like he's made himself believe yeah. that he's something like amazing. Yeah, I mean, really, he's just totally not. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything else I really think I need to say about yeah, Itania. I there's think it's not pretty self-explanatory. A lot of spoiler thoughts. I mean, mm-hmm. other than, you know, she's the first person to do the triple axe goal. Surprise! Yeah, which, which, I mean, a lot of people knew already. Yeah, and, I guess if you didn't. Um, it's like, but the lead up to it and the grand, the shot yeah. of it all and everything. So you're like, is she going to make it? Right. I don't know. I think the other thing that maybe um, was a bit of a knock on the movie for me was the way that they filmed a lot of the skating sequences i i get what they're going for and they wanted to show harding or not harding uh robbie's face on it mm-hmm. but like you can tell like once it like picks up an actual skate that's not her yeah and that like they're hiding her face but then like the on the spins there's like it looks like there's like have some like computer generated image of margo that they just spin around really cool really quick and then margo's just like standing there behind it and then it stops and you're like it just look. It looks weird, and then when she's like doing the sweeping skates across the ice, it's just like it's a blurry background. It's like okay, this is clear, just green screen. And I get that because there's no other way you can do this if you want to have Margot right. in the shot. But yeah. it's like, did I have to see Margot in this portion of the shot, or could you have gone to a wide mm-hmm. and you know follow the skater from behind or something? Yeah. So it was like kind of a, like a little bit distracting, but I was like, it's a. What else can you do? Yeah, because I thought about that too. But like, there's like, because you really want to portray like her emotions mm-hmm. going through it all. And like you said, other than you know, you have to have to cut that all out if you don't right. go for that. So, um, but yeah, and it just the like the thing I just I guess I really loved though was it was just kind of like their the film thesis is like call out like you know crap in the media and kind mm-hmm. of like the, the the how they're just jumping from shiny object to shiny object and best part i'm not okay not the best part but one of the part that i was just like oh that's completely hilarious is when they finally do kind of like leave or they kind of like they don't give up but they're kind of like oh this is old news is when the next huge shiny object <laughs> to dominate the media circuit right. is oj <laughs> and they're like watching them just like scatter off the logs mm-hmm. like oh we gotta go cover you know, juice. So. Right. Yeah. 
<laughs> and yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think it happens right before that, right after is when Harding's trial happens. Mm-hmm. And like, again, that's where Margot really gets a chance to shine. Cause she's just like, she breaks down in the, in the courtroom and she's like, no, like I'll do the jail time. Just don't take skating away. And it's like that. It's a heartbreaking scene for her. And, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a credit to the movie and the script and the direction that even after her knowing that something was happening, with Kerrigan, not necessarily that she's going to get her knee smashed in, mm-hmm. but that like, you know, she knew that they were going to try to do something to her that we still care for her in that moment. Of like, wow, like, yeah, don't do that. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's, this, this seems a little harsh. Right. But like, I understand where the judge is coming from. It the same is. Point. Yeah, it is like in, in its own weird way. It's one of the most honest, as honest as possible mm-hmm. because the whole the premise is conflicting reports and what really right. happened. But it's one of the more honest biopics mm-hmm. that I've ever seen, like, you know, trying to get at the heart of things like that. Yeah. And um, you don't expect to feel good at the end of the movie, uh, and you don't no. really, but as soon as, you, as soon as you get space from it, you're like, that was a real joy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just all the credit um, to Gillespie, Rogers, and the, the entire and anybody who you know was able to do that, Robbie, Janie, Sebastian. So yeah, was there a favorite fourth wall break for you? It's definitely it's the this didn't happen moment because it's yeah. just so outlandish. Shotgun, <laughs> <Just like, laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what? It's like he's getting out of there. I'm like, and then just as soon as it stops, you're just like, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, but I think mine may be the training montage in the woods. She's like, she did this. She also did this. Yeah, that's right. And this. And you're like, okay. <laughs> it's just like, it's so like on the nose that I, I thought it was really funny. Mm-hmm. And uh, one last thing I will mention, I think, I, I mean, I mentioned it briefly before, but just to give more of um, a spotlight to the relationship that Harding has with uh, a lot of people in her life of being like, she has that great line where she's like, uh, you treated me like crap. And I always thought it was my fault. And I thought that's all I deserved. So why do you, why does it surprise you that, you know, the husband I found, the lover I found, oh, yeah. also was so abusive. And you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's like a, you know, I thought that was really, really uh, well done uh, for the most part to show that, like, yeah, you know, the way you are raised and the way you perceive love is the way you're going to find love later on in life or what you believe to be love. And um, what you're willing to tolerate right. and everything like Cause that. Because it's just, it's sure. at that point after, you know, 18 years, but by the time I think 18 or 21 is when she meets um, Sebastian Stan's character. And by that point, she she's been living with her mother for all that time, getting abused uh, physically and emotionally. And then when you know a guy smacks her around a little bit, it's like, oh, okay, he loves yeah, me, right? So it's like, oh, well, I mean, another just really interesting layer to the movie. I thought. Um, but do you have anything else you want to mention about Itania? Um, no. That, okay. that about sums it all up. All right. So uh, both four and a half ticket stubs from me and Josh for I, Tanya. Obviously, we both recommend it. That's all we have for our review. So we'll be right back in a bit with the news. And we're back with the news. And as always, we're going to start with Ticket or Skip It this week. It's a very short segment of our very newest segment because we only have really one trailer to talk about. And that being the second trailer for Tomb Raider. Starring Alicia Vikander, directed by Roar Uthog. Josh, is it a ticket or skip it? It's a ticket. Okay. And 
but I won't. But it looks a little hesitant. I am hesitant, but I mean, we're all you're either all in or you're not in. But I'm, I'd rather be all in and be surprised, yeah, than miss out. Okay. This movie is this is so dangerously close to summer blockbuster destruction city movie. Okay, I mean, there's there is some pretty outlandish CG scenes here, and in my head, this movie was developing early on as a Indiana Jones-esque adventure. But obviously, Laura Croft, kind of like in that style. Yeah. She'll be solving puzzles, but then also attacking people with ice picks and bow and arrows and just the assortment of tools that she's got, the double pistols, Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. But this just looks like she's leaping from one huge explosion or natural disaster to another. There's the waterfall scenes. There's a cave-in at the tomb i guess yeah, where I that's happening a, at tomb, yeah. in this trailer and it's just kind of like oh no i hope that's just not going to be all of it but there are some early on like emotional threads that i see that i do think are interesting and i really hope that is a larger part of the movie and not just the we need to sell alicia vikander you know running away from things that look cool mm-hmm. so i'm in but I'm I'm worried about this because yeah. I think the movie just has a lot of potential. I just don't want to see it wasted. Mm-hmm. But what about you? Uh, yeah, it's a ticket for me. It's definitely not you know a huge huge ticket. Like, uh, but I'm still excited for this movie, uh, largely because of Vikander. I liked the first trailer because it really, um, you know, it kind of showed those video gamey elements of big action, yeah, uh, big spectacle. And this one I thought focused a little bit more on the story, um, showing more of. Uh, Laura's relationship with her father, which was like seven years ago, I think they said in the movie. Um, but then she stumbles across Walton Goggins, who he says was left on that island by her father seven years ago. So it's like, but he's also the villain. So it's like, can you trust him? Mm-hmm. Or did he, because her father's been missing, did he have something to do with her his disappearance? Um, it looks like Laura and it looks like Vicander Goggins are teaming up. Or at least working together. I don't know if it's like a partnership or if it's like Goggins, like yeah, like yeah. you know, I got Daniel Wu over on the side. And I'm going to kill him if you don't help me find this, and mm-hmm. so she has to. Um, I think either way it could be interesting, but I'm hoping that they find a really good way to use Walton Goggins as a villain and make him more than just the traditional. I'm a bad guy and I have evil plans and I want this thing and you're going to help me. Yeah, because where it lost me was, and speaking of evil plans, the uh, Dominic West, her father, like, you know, tosses out there, they're planning a genocide. Right. There's <laughs> like, oh, that seems a little bit too big, too fast, but that's at the heart of, you know, all right. Tomb Raider games is somebody has an evil scheme that they want to do with mm-hmm. some ancient power yeah. bestowed upon by gods etc etc right yeah i'm still i'm still looking forward to it and hopefully uh this breaks the video game curse and we can get a nice video game adaptation franchise for years to come with alicia vikander Mm -hmm. what's what's the threshold it needs to get to to break the video game curse positive critical reviews or a box office threshold i think positive critical reviews absolutely i think that's the first one because i don't think it I mean, Tomb Raider is a decent IP, but I don't know how much draw it has at the box office, um, and it's going to need those good reviews, I think, to have a shot to be a fifty million dollar opening in March or something. Like, I think it's going to need some pretty good word of mouth at that point. So, um, definitely the word of mouth and the early reviews. But then, and then if it does that, then it can get the box office returns, hopefully, or at least 
come close to breaking even, and then the studio be like, well, they really liked it, and there's fans, so now if we get make the second one, mm-hmm. we know there's that fan base, and we can build off of that. So, that's true. Uh, I mean, yeah, as long as it's better than, like, Assassin's Creed or something, then we're improving. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Moving the right direction. So, um, But, yeah, that's the only thing we have for Ticket or Skip it this week, which brings us to the rest of the news. And a report from the tracking board revealed this week that Romanian boxer Florian and Big Nasty Muntianu Ooh. has landed the part of Ivan Drago's son in Creed 2. Is I mean, this guy's a boxer, so we don't know anything about him. Uh, I haven't looked up his highlight reels on YouTube. He's never acted before. So I don't think this is really a question of is he going to be a good fit because I think he – He'll probably just be there for muscle and to punch people, specifically yeah. um, uh, Michael B. Jordan. Right. So I think the real question is now that this is actually like going forward in like Drago's son versus um, the son of Apollo Creed, is this the right direction for Creed 2? No. Yeah, I don't think so. Either. It's not. Uh, but at I still all. have faith. Yeah, like, listen, I I fully trust the movie that's going to come out of this, at least EP'd by Ryan Coogler, is going to be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Florid, Floridian? Florian. Florian. He looks really scary. Yeah, okay? he looks jacked. I, I'm just, yeah, he looks jacked, scary, and, uh, you know, it's going to make, he's going to make a great, great villain in the ring. But what's the story around it? Right. Why does it have to be Drago's son? Is this just Stallone pulling strings saying, no, we got to do this? Because yeah. back in the day, because, you know, mm-hmm. let's, I'm, I'm tired of back in the day. <laughs> but like, but not just, but not finished with it. Right. You know, it's just too derivative. Too derivative. Yeah. There's, there's other people out there, you know? So, but, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm still hopeful because... Kugler, while he's not directing, I think he still is EP and on the project. And mm-hmm. I liked what Stephen Capel Jr. did with The Land. And the script, while written by um, Stallone and potentially being very nostalgia-heavy, it was also helped. It was also co-written by Cheo Hadari Coker, the showrunner of Luke Cage. So, like, there's good elements in there. Now I just got to hope they bring out the best element elements for the purposes of this movie and it's not just you know yeah still it's not just rocky mm-hmm. and adonis training and then rocky says hey you know i heard uh the guy who killed your dad has a as a son who's a fighter too you want to fight him and then he's like yeah need to get revenge for my dad and then it's like you know at the end of the day when adonis beats the son you know ivan's really just like you know i'm really sorry about that and it's like oh it's okay Shake hands. Yeah. You know, I know you didn't mean to do it. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, what was the point? So. Yeah. And I, I think Cable, you know, th- th- that is the hope. Cable Jr., and since the land is so personal mm-hmm. that I, hopefully, whatever is happening here around Jordan is, you know, so resonant or the, so relatable in a lot of ways that maybe this, him being the foil at the end of the at the end of the film, mm-hmm. is almost like small potatoes compared to everything else we get from then to there, from yeah. beginning to that point. Because if it is like a sort of um, a walk down memory lane or just Jordan trying to like grapple with a lot of things that, while boxing, mm-hmm. that'll be great. 
and then if he just has to step into the ring with him at the end, that would that, that would work. work. Yeah, I yeah. just don't want some kind of like you know, I'm going to show up outside of his house. We'll fight. We'll you know punch each other a little bit. You know, then go train something else. You know, right? Just okay. Yeah, um, so we'll move on to uh, an update on John Wick 3. Actually, a couple of updates. That hashtag show confirmed this week. Uh, what was long suspected and uh, expected at this point that Chad Stileski, uh would direct John Wick 3. It has now been confirmed by them and Collider and various other outlets that, yeah, Stileski is back. No surprise. Um, but then additional information came out about the sequel, specifically the cast, uh, that being that... Hiroki Sanada is going to play the lead villain of the movie, who is the head of the Japanese crime syndicate. And then additionally, Lawrence Fishburne Common and Ruby Rose are expected to reprise their roles as well. So, uh, with these four looking, it looks like four more cast members for John Wick 3, uh, are you excited for this? And also, didn't Common and Ruby Rose die? <laughs> Off screen, though, right? I guess. Ruby Rose is left for dead. She's bleeding inside of the mirror. Yeah. She's been thrown against the mirror and left bleeding. Mm -hmm. Common? Common had the stab in his, like, like artery or something, right? Right below his heart. Then it was like, if you pull it out, you'll bleed to death. And then there's, like, another thing, like... But if you leave it in, you're going to die late. Like, a little bit late, he'll be able to... Or no, because he tells him if if you go now, you can make it. No, yeah, there's a long speech. Yeah, like that that John that like Wick makes basically saying like it's a lose lose for you. Like I'm get, like you can I think it was like you can take it out and kill me. Yes. But you're you'll die instantly or you can leave it in and you'll die a little bit later. Right. But I'll get away, I think. Is and basically you'll have a, the premise. You'll have a chance, like a fighting chance. Maybe. Right. So, but I was like, okay. Yeah, like I'll say this two great characters and like they're gonna have a grudge match obviously with john mm-hmm. so whatever he's up to unless they end up teaming up with him no which okay good like, it, maybe common but i i don't know why ruby rose's character would want to team up with him at this point yeah i don't know either unless they're all like hey let's take him down we'll all get paid but then we'll all be on the run from the continental organization yeah I don't know, but Stalinsky's back, and I am just stoked. Yes, the, he, you know, he, he's returned to complete the trilogy, and hopefully, maybe Shepard, the, the the Star series that's going on. Oh man, on, I'm so excited for that. That would be awesome. That's I cannot be wait. Um, yeah, I'm excited for this because Stalinsky's back, uh, but also the addition of Sonata. He's a really good martial artist, so uh, I love the idea of them evolving their gung fu to the next level by bringing in like real martial artists and the crime syndicate from japan and maybe even expanding it even more to be like well you know john's on the run so instead of where do you go in the second movie like romania or something or rome rome yep like instead of going to europe he's gonna go to japan to try to hide but really there's probably even more assassins over japan and then it's just like all right the whole crime syndicate's after you plus common and ruby rose are on your tail and Lawrence Fishburne's just helping out on the side. Yeah, how is he going to show up? Is he going to be a hobo in Japan, too? I don't know. <laughs> that would be something. But I'm excited. I want to see more about that group because they're, like, super interesting and mysterious in the second movie. And it's like, why bring them in for, like, five minutes yeah. if you weren't going to bring them <clears> back? You know, They weren't named. They weren't – yeah, there was nothing given about them. So. Yeah. There's also um, – they're looking to cast a female lead in the movie – 
Um, I previously, uh, it was reported that Keanu wants Tilda Swinton, which I think would be awesome. That would be <laughs> Tilda the best. Swinton in a John Wick movie. Is there any other actress? I don't think there's any qualifications for age or uh, race or anything. So it could really just be any awesome actress out there uh, that you want to see kick some butt next to or against John Wick. Yes, um, Sarah Paulson. Would be one, and then interesting. Um, she just starred in the commuter. Oh, Verga Farmiga. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, totally. Two out there choices. But I... I think they fit. They both have this like, like they just stare daggers at you, or right. they, they have the ability to anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, oh no, I think that would be perfect. I. Or Angela Bassett. What about Angelina Jolie? You go back, get a, get like a earlier action star um i think that's the way that you go i don't i don't necessarily want to see a, a like a, an alicia vikander sure. or somebody i want to see like them bring in like a a previous like action like sort of legend to kind of bring in there or just like any kind of movie star that's not not necessarily washed up but that's like not as big as they were and that way they could do this and be like oh look they're still around you know um but i don't really know currently who that would be for me like i think there's a lot i think there's a lot of different options out there but yeah for sure uh yeah i don't know who it would be i mean maybe like i don't know like somebody like even like like they got like just chastain like that would be awesome uh um, oh, that would be good um but, linda hamilton okay interesting interesting choice i could get behind that one um helen mirren of course Emily Blunt. Yeah, that would absolutely. Be, that'd be sick. Uh, she's not necessarily what I described, but I'm just looking at a list of actresses, and she would fit the bill. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, there's, I mean, there's a ton of different people you could get to, you know. Hopefully, the reputation of the first two movies is enough that people are like, you know what, I want to, I want to get on board with this. Like somebody like you know, Katie Sackoff. Oh, it's yeah. like, sure, why not? You know, I mean, what is she really doing right now? And I mean, like probably still working but she's not you know about she's not in her battlestar galactica heyday anymore she's on like the flash on cw and stuff mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean even like natalie dormer you know she, oh, she'd be fantastic awesome. choice yeah and there's like someone willing like you know who's done like the action film tv series circuit and like willing to put in like the gung fu or uma thurman uma thurman that no, all bets are off. Uma Thurman. I, why did that not even come up? That would be that would be the perfect role for her. Um, That'd be pretty awesome. Absolutely. Or, um, not Jamie. Uh, Jamie. Uh, Lena Hetty. No, not Lena Hetty. I. But I'd be, I'd be fine it's with gonna, that. It's gonna come to me. I was, I was like, are you thinking about Jamie Lannister or no? <laughs> Jamie Fox. <laughs> I don't know what Jamie you're trying to get at. Um, I'll, I'll, it'll come so, to me. We'll all right, to yeah, it. If you think about it, just blurt it in. Uh, but we're going to move on to Toy Story 4, which according to Deadline, got a new writer uh, in Stephanie Folsom. She most recently did some uncredited work on Thor Ragnarok. Um, but now that Folsom is stepping on to redo the script for Toy Story 4 uh, in the wake of Rashida Jones leaving and uh, Chris McCormick, I think is the other writer. They yep. both left around D23. Um, this movie is supposed to come out next summer. It's an animated movie. 
if you don't have a script, you can't do animation on, you can't do voiceover, you can't do really anything, mm-hmm. you can't do storyboards, right. or whatever. So, you know, are you glad to see Fulsome on board, but also do you think this is actually going to, is it going to get another delay? No, I think this is, it's going to get another delay. Okay. Because, you I mean, like you, like you just said, Pixar movies are kind of impossible incredibly intricate and take years to do i mean they'll start advertising for one a year in advance uh yeah at least back in the back in the one movie a year day um or one movie every two years kind of a day they would now they would announce it with a teaser and then you'd see the first trailer six months seven months right. later so now that they finally have the script uh or at least a script writer i imagine We'll see it pushed until the next summer. Until 2020. Because, I mean, I don't see them putting it out in the fall. I don't see them putting it out in the mm-hmm. spring. Toy Story will cause, you know, herds and herds of people to show up to yeah. the theaters. And Disney already has a pretty decent 2019 lined up with yeah. Avengers 4, mm-hmm. Captain Marvel, uh, Episode 9. Um, and then they also have um, The Lion King. Right. And Mulan. Is, I think yep. Mulan's supposed to be 2019. Yeah, november So... Uh, where do you even fit in Toy Story at that point? And I mean, then you could do 2020, do Toy Story four, phase start of Phase four for MCU, Obi Wan, this, and uh, there's one other one I'm missing that I thought of, but it doesn't really matter. All right. I'm saying is there's room. Oh, and Indiana Jones five is supposed That's to come right. out in 2020. Yep. So I think it makes more sense to. To push in at this point, there's really no way it even comes out next yeah, year. Yeah, it'll anyways. be full steam ahead for nostalgia by that point. Yeah. So, I mean, I think fitting it right in after Lion King, Mulan, into that next year, I would not be shocked that we get that maybe a D23 later this year. They're pushing it back. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, but speaking of a MCU movie... Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming is getting a sequel in 2019 as well, which is technically a Marvel, or is technically a Disney movie, it's technically Sony, um, but, you know, that's semantics, I guess. Um, and that hashtag show revealed this week that Marvel Studios is over in Europe currently looking for a European actress in her 20s to play a femme fatale role. Uh, it has previously been reported that Gwen Stacy may be in this movie. Do you oh, think that this could be her, or do you think it'd be somebody else? Do you even want a femme fatale role in this movie? Do you like the idea of them going overseas, potentially? There's a lot of questions. Well, who are the femme fatale first? Like, what is a femme fatale? Yes. Uh, according, here's a, here's a description I found online of what a femme fatale character okay. is. Okay. It's a mysterious and seductive woman whose charms ensnare her lovers, often leading them into compromising dangers and deadly situations. So not necessarily. But this, this is a Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah. What? It's a, it's, okay. it's a yeah. It's like a literary term. All right. Basically, it's like a character arch- archetype. Gotcha. Okay. Um, does Gwen Stacy ever hang out in London? No. Okay. But I think the kind of speculation and theories at this point is that they're going to be filming over over in London. It looks mm-hmm. like in London and Germany, and. Um, there was previously thought when like addition tapes sur- surfaced of a lot of European actresses for Gwen Stacy, it was like, oh, Gwen Stacy's going to be in New York as a foreign exchange student. But if they're filming over there and they're casting over there, it could be that Peter Parker's a foreign exchange student. Like he's going to go study abroad for a semester or something um, after Avengers 4 and everything. 
which could be interesting. And maybe that's how they bring Gwen in. Um, it would definitely be a big change for character, not only for her to be uh, a foreign, an international right. person, but also for her to fit this description that's not really Gwen. Yeah. Uh, she's not, you know, a, a seductress or <laughs> anything. Like, she's normally pretty heartfelt and uh, makes me tend to think that that's not the role. So I don't know if they're also adding a femme fatale and Gwen, but then are they also going to keep Zendaya involved? Yeah. Or, or well, I don't know how that's all going to work. Which is the kind of the crazier part of this, I mean, I suppose, is that why is he going abroad? Like, wouldn't we just spend an entire movie, like, endearing us to his friend group? And then, yeah. I mean, obviously we don't know what Avengers 4 and 3 and 4 are going to be all be about. Yeah, Maybe Thanos we, kills them all. Right, or, yeah, New York is just left burning and... By default, yeah, Peter has Parker to go has to go abroad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. Um, but, I mean, I guess it would would make sense if, like, he is abroad and they're like, okay, we need someone that's going to, like, end up being sort of like the stereotypical, like, oh, I like that girl, but then she turns out she's a villain type of yeah. deal. So I, I don't know if there's a way they're going to go about that. Um, or... Possibly. I think the interesting thing about this is that, like, Based on that description, um, I think there's one character that a lot of Marvel fans would think of instantly in terms of related to Spider-Man and in terms of that description would be Black Cat. Okay. But she's supposed to get her own movie at Sony, and it's supposed to come out the f- February of 2019, I think. So it's supposed to come out before the sequel. So unless... The MCU is separate from these movies, which we'll get to a story that may debunk that completely. Yeah. Either they're going to introduce Black Cat in uh, Black and Silver, Silver and Black, whatever the movie's called, Mm -hmm. and then have her appear in Homecoming sequel as well. Uh, I don't know how that would work. Synergy. I mean, is there a specified age range? Just in her 20s. So that could be 20, 21, yeah, or it could be 28, 29. <laughs> right. There's a huge difference. I mean, but like, like based on the description, of, like a, you know, a seductress almost like it, yeah, would, that, it would, it would tend to think oh. that it's a, it's a love angle for Peter potentially right. an overseas yeah. love interest. And you're not going to cast somebody like Anna Kendrick, who's like 28, 29. I think mm-hmm. you're not going to cast her to flirt with a 21 year old Tom Holland. Yeah. You know, like that's just a, uh, it's a little weird. Mm-hmm. And so like, how do you do that organically? Um, yeah. I think if it's not her, I think the other, you know, mentioned that people have been thrown out of silver sable, but again, that's the same thing with black cat. It's supposed to be in a movie together. So how does that work? Right. Um, <laughs> there's also been suggestions of like spider woman because I, in, Ooh. in the comics, she, um, she grows up in a European city. Um, it's a, it's a, or a European country that's fictional. Um, so they could be adapting that, which would be interesting. Um, and I'd love to see Jessica Drew get on the, you know, in the MCU finally. Um, but I think, I think those are probably the three most likely candidates. Um, but the confusion just comes because of that yes. <laughs> silver and black movie, whether right. or not, those can be options or not there's some serious nuance in here that like is going to tell the whole story because yeah. like like you said 20s is super general mm-hmm. and if it's on the low end it makes sense it's on the high end it just shifts the entire story um it w- 
wouldn't be like a henchman role or anything, would it? I don't think so. Like, okay. I, like, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. And I mean, who knows what they mean by European actress? Does that mean they want like a somebody with like a heavy accent, or do they just want like an English act, actress, or or what? Mm-hmm. But I have a few names. I mean, it's kind of almost pointless to throw these out there because we don't know what the role is. Right. But um, Scott, Kaya Scaldelario, I think, is a could be one. She's in the Maze Runner franchise, which is just ending, and she has the relationship with Disney yeah. from Pirates. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's uh, she's British. She's 25, so she's not that much older than Tom Holland, so it could still work. Um, then Lily James, who I'm a huge fan of. Oh, she's yes. also British. Mm-hmm. She's I think she's a little older, um, so I don't know. She's 25, 26. Yeah, 25, 26. Um, so I don't know if – again how that works or how or what they want by the european but then also if they want to go a little more younger closer to tom holland's age uh cersei ronan if they want to get a big star oh yeah she's irish i think um, yep, she's irish. um and you know she's got that heavy accent so you won't have to really have to worry about like teaching somebody to use a scottish or you know european act accent and then the other one would be lucy boyton boyton um who's from sing street and she's going to be in the bohemian rhapsody movie at the end of this year so um again i'm just throwing those names out there because it's like you know <laughs> right yeah, no, yeah i hear you um natalie Emanuel. okay she's british i think yes english so that would be a great one too yeah i, still, I just want to roll for her i mean oh Game yeah of Thrones me is just about over before, and uh, i have not seen her in anything before dewanda wise was cast in captain marvel probably as monica rambeau i was like you should cast yes. you should cast her because she also, oh, like a couple years ago, she said she wanted to play, um, um, oh, I can't think of the character's name, Ironheart, the the, oh, the yeah. younger female mm-hmm. Iron Man in the comics um, currently. But if, unless they up up the age of that character, right. she doesn't fit the bill. So um, we'll have to wait and see. And you know, I mentioned kind of well, are, is Black Cat and Silver Sable is that is their solo movie mm-hmm. um, or their team up movie? I guess you know, does that discount them from potentially appearing in this movie it appears probably because according to a rumor from john schnepp at collider uh tom holland will indeed be appearing in venom um the 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 role is said to be only a cameo and took holland two days to film um but the important distinction here is that he's only going to be appearing as peter parker Mm -hmm. not as spider-man um which i guess could leave them some wiggle room potentially um and again offers up questions of why is peter parker in san francisco um because that's where this movie is supposed to take place but you're clearly very excited about this yes because this this just this is how venom is going to be in the mcu i think I think so. I mean it looks like it looks that way. I, I mean you can't put Tom Holland's in this if he's not. You would think so, right? But it also answers the question: How does the symbiote know that Peter Parker is the guy, or like how does it become Venom? And Maybe. It, if you're gonna film a scene where a symbiote drops on the Peter Parker's wrist, reads his DNA, spider, like you know, sirens flare and the symbiote, like I should be a spider, and then it crawls off. Super easy to do. E- easily takes two days. I mean, maybe even one, depending on yeah. how fast you wanted to get it done. Yeah. Uh, this is so cool. I mean, we're not going to see the fight, and I don't want to see the fight this early. Do you because- think that they will meet? Do you think Eddie Brock and Peter Parker will 
cross paths mm. or what? Because the comic line that they're adapting is Lethal Protector and something else. Okay. And in those comics, um, Eddie Brock has already been Venom before, and he's fought Spider-Man several times. But then he like wants to be that anti-hero, kind of more of a good guy. So he agrees to move to San Francisco and leave New York. So him and Spidey stop clashing all the time. No, I think this is the I think this is the origin story where it starts in San some weirdly starts in San Francisco, and then he'll make his way to New York eventually somehow. And the symbiote finds Parker before then. Yes. Okay. But I don't know how. I I'm still I'm still very skeptical of this. I, I don't. Yeah. The, listen, the logistics don't make a whole lot of sense, but. If Tom Holland is in this and Venom is going to be the anti-Spider-Man, uh, you've got to have the symbiote know to portray that. Unless Eddie Brock is just such a huge fan of Spider-Man, like he's like, "I'll just, you know, I'll be him." Unless, or you know, or he's shooting like a TV spot where Brock notices on the news that Spider-Man just saves an old lady from cross, you know, getting hit by a bus or something like right. that, and then he's like. I got it. I'll be like Spider-Man, only not Spider-Man. So, you know, I you've got to have the symbiote know what to do, and mm-hmm. it's got to meet Peter Parker. And how that works, I don't know. But just the mere fact that he's going to be there is so cool. Yeah, I, st- I, I definitely want to know more about this, um, just because nothing against Schnapp or the Clatter crew, but mm-hmm. it's it's not variety saying this or it's not deadline right um you know and how does this yeah how does this work into the story how does this work into the mcu and their timeline and infinity war Mm -hmm. and i mean all that stuff i mean i know back when venom was announced initially everybody's theory was like oh man what if the symbiote like attaches itself to the mulatto in 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 infinity war that comes back to earth and it finds spider-man and then it finds eddie brock and that's how they know (laughs) all this stuff and it's like uh maybe Maybe that is the thing, and maybe that is why in that initial, like, or one of those earlier press conferences for Homecoming, when Pascal was like, oh, yeah, these are in the MCU, Home- Kevin Feige was memed and gift yeah. because of his reactions being like, uh, what did she just say? <laughs> right, Because yeah. I don't think that it was a, uh, oh, crap, she said something totally incorrect. I think it was, oh, crap, Pascal slipped and just revealed a big secret. Yeah. And... Uh, if that's the case, uh, it's it's kind of a bummer. Like, if it probably wouldn't have stayed a secret, mm-hmm. if this is true, that Holland is in the movie. But at the same time, I can't help but think, wow, what if I was watching Venom in October, and Tom Holland Tom Holland walks across the screen, and I'm like, uh, uh, what? Like that that would have been cr- like really cool to see, and it still would be cool to see if this does indeed prove to be true. Um, I think I'm just being a little uh, cautious that it is going to be true. Um, And I also want to see really how it's going to happen because Sony has already caused some question marks with MCU continuity with the eight years later at the beginning of Homecoming. And, you know, how they're going to then do this at the same time and this movie comes out between the Avengers movies, who knows how Infinity War ends? Like, there's just there's a lot of questions that I have. So, uh, you know, I just wanna I wanna see the movie. Yes. If it is great, um, 
that'll be very cool because then Spider-Man 3 can happen and it can be him versus Venom or them teaming up or Mm -hmm. something crazy. Um, But I don't want to get super excited right now that it's happening and then come October and be like, oh. Be disappointed. Holland's not in there. So uh, we will see. And that's all we have for Marvel stuff, but we still have some other superhero topics to cover in the DC universe. Um, and new DC film president Walter Hamada is moving quickly in his first couple weeks on the job as Variety reports that John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein will direct Flashpoint for Warner Brothers. Uh, the duo most recently helmed, or they most recently wrote the script for Spider-Man Homecoming, but their most recent directorial outing was Vacation, not the really old Chevy Chase one, the 2015 reboot starring Ed Helms mm-hmm. and Christina Applegate and Chris Hemsworth. Yes, and, <laughs> and their um, film that's on its way out, Game Night. Yes, which looks good. Which looks Look, hilarious. Looks, looks really funny. Ishla Fish, is, is that Isla Fisher? No, it's um, Rachel McAdams. That's right. And uh, Kyle Chandler. Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, got a, it's got a really good cast. Yeah, absolutely. Which is weird. Which I wouldn't have thought to pair comedy directors with Flash in the early parts of, you know, the whole series that we've been dealing with right now. Yes. Director, fall off, back on, off again, on again. But now, after seeing the Flash that they put in Justice League, these two make total sense, don't they? Maybe. Maybe? (gasps) Maybe. I don't know. Um, Vacation wasn't good. Yeah, subpar. Yes, they had writing credits on Spider-Man Homecoming, but they were, I think, the first two to have writing credits. After their script, another duo came on to rewrite it, and then another duo came on to do another pass. So it's like how much of that movie is really theirs. I think if you want to get a really good understanding of who they are, uh, you look at, I think, their writing credits, which maybe they're going to rewrite the movie too. Um because they they did both the Horrible Bosses movies. They did Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2. And uh, then The Incredible Burt Wonderstone. Which is just an absolutely garbage of movie. I mean, it's just so bad. I wanted it to be good. Oh, really uh, yeah, me too. But it, it, just, it was just absolutely terrible. Um, and yeah, like I think the comedy angle that it looks like Fran- that Daly and Goldstein will bring to a project. Fits with the Flash we saw in Justice League. Yeah. But I don't think it fits with Flashpoint. That's that's the disconnect that I see. It's Flashpoint's this alternate alternate timeline. Barry has screwed up the universe trying to save his mom. Mm-hmm. Um, the Atlanteans and the Amazonians are at war, and they're destroying Earth. And there's a dark uh, Batman um, that's Thomas Wayne, not Bruce Wayne. And there's like you know all these different things happening. It's not a happy-go-lucky, yay, time travel movie. It's uh, it's more serious. So unless they're seriously changing the feel and the story of Flashpoint to just be, oh, it's time travel. Yeah. Or Daly and Goldstein are coming in uh, and Hamada is like, we don't need to do Flashpoint. We need a Flash solo movie so we can get to Flashpoint where – we see a team, a massive team movie where he goes to change the past, but audiences already know who Barry Allen is and know how important his mother is to him and how important uh, the trial of his father is and all that stuff. So 
again, I'm hesitant on this one. And I was also just like, Robert Zemeckis seemed like he was the guy. What happened there? Yeah. And I'm still bummed that Rick Famuyiwa is not doing this. Mm -hmm. So um, after upgrading from Seth Graham Smith to uh, Famuyiwa, losing Famuyiwa was a bummer. Potentially getting Zemeckis was like, cool. Now it's like, here are the vacation directors. It's like, uh, okay. But, you know, the thing is, do you think that they have it? You don't. So you don't think they have it in them to pivot to a more serious tone, but humorous storyline. I, I I don't know. That's yeah, the thing. I so mean, that'll be, that'll be like the big right. test. Then. Like I don't want to write them off completely because I'm just like you know I just don't know. Right. Um. It would have been the same if you asked me in 2013, 2012. So like the directors of Community on TV are going to go do a Captain America. We are back home. Uh, right. Okay. Weird. <laughs> okay. Weird choice. They ended up doing one of the most serious, grounded Marvel movies to date, mm-hmm. and maybe that's exactly what Daly and Goldstein are going to do. But they haven't done that yet, and I mean, we we just don't know if that's the vision they want. Um, it is also weird because like Variety included that like Ben Affleck was offered the job, and it's really, like, that's really strange, but. That's not really, I think, the the point. I, they just, I think they're just like, hey, we need someone. And it, and if there's been rumors that this that Flashpoint would be Affleck's last appearance as Batman, so they, I think they would be like Warner Brothers probably pitched it and was like, hey, come direct this movie for us, and then you can find your own way to exit, <laughs> whether it's write rewrite the universe at when Flashpoint's reset, so that you're not Batman anymore or whatever. But then you could tell that kind of darker. Uh, more character-focused piece of Flashpoint instead of... So going from them to then... or From potentially him or Zemeckis or Famuyiwa to going to Daly and Goldstein, it just seems like a huge shift in what I expect from that movie then. Do you think it's settling? Do I think what? Do you think they're settling here? Or do you think this um, is actually really a conscious decision? I, I don't know. I think it's... I mean, there's been a lot of people who... Again, I've used this as an example of how come a, a woman or a person of color mm-hmm. um, didn't get this job. You're giving it to two white guys, not just one. You're giving it to two. That's uh, <laughs> true. And two that, if you look at all of their credits, don't have that great of a track record. They don't. So it's like, again, how come you couldn't have given this to, um, you know, Reed Morano of handmaiden's tale who apparently has met with lucasfilm over the last couple of years apparently or um you know sj clarkson who did the first who did the pilot of jessica jones and did defenders episodes or uh catherine bigelow or whoever i mean there's there's options out there um so i do think it's probably a bit of a settling and horrible bosses both of those were done for new line which is where Hamada comes from he didn't I don't think he EP'd those movies specifically but that's where that's the division he came from for Warner Brothers that's where Toby Emmerich the new president of Warner Brothers came from yeah so I think they're just pulling from that portion of their studio instead of maybe looking elsewhere uh for talent yeah it's it's definitely a safe pick but I don't know I don't know if you can go there I mean you it could backfire you be, you put your faith in the machine, if you will, all the pros around them, and then they're just there to make sure it doesn't get. But do we have faith in the edgy. DC machine? <laughs> uh, 
Not after Justice League, at yeah. least those visual effects. Good goodness yeah. gracious. So like I, I yeah. I don't want to say that these are the these are the wrong guys or they shouldn't have got the job because they could come out and Hamada sees what they can do with this project and right. twenty twenty or whatever this movie comes out, I'd be like, Wow. They were the they were the best choice. Yes. We can say that safely after we see the movie, but until then it's just uh throw your hands up in the air and Wave like you just don't care. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really good point. So, um, and speaking of Flashpoint's potential release date, um, we don't have a release date for it, but a rumor from Revenge of the Fans uh, editor in chief Mario Robles, who we've used his articles and posts before in talking to the podcast, um, whether it's about the the Snyder cut or um, you know, the justice league reshoots or whatever. Yeah. And he, he has a decent track record. He just started up this new site and, uh, he revealed in one of his articles, what he says is the upcoming slate for DC. Now, some of these are very unsurprising because we know they're either in production, finished production or gearing up for production. But there are a couple of, um, changes to what Warner brothers showed last year at, you know, com- at San Diego comic-con and then at like um, another convention too, right after Just League, I think it was in Brazil, maybe. Um, yeah, something I'd never heard of before. Where they again they flashed up the logos of the upcoming movies. Mm-hmm. So and some of those movies they showed aren't on this new list. And according to uh, Revenge of the Fans, the slates in no particular order is what they say. But I think it probably will go in this order that I'm going to read it off. Is Aquaman, Shazam, Wonder Woman 2, Suicide Squad 2, Flashpoint, The Batman, Man of Steel 2, and Nightwing. So if this is the case, is this a slate that you can be happy with? Or do you think um, it needs changes or what? I love it. Yeah, I think it's a good slate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not what I pitched (laughs) in our uh, Craft of DC slate um, big question. But I think that's the right direction. There's a honing, there's a honing in on popular characters, mm-hmm. but also the, um, the the beginnings of extending your reach into properties that many people may not be super familiar with. But they're not radical jumps to Lobo, who you know, right. if you don't even know who that is, don't even worry about it. Uh, so I think that's the best way to get number one back to critical acclaim mm-hmm. profitability and fan service first i suppose and then you know back out there with um you know start churning out movies and get back onto a the synergetic movie slate right. universe <laughs> i don't know other words that alec baldwin would use in 30 rock but yeah i mean i, I think it, i think that's the way to go don't you Yes, I think uh, it 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 seems like the way to go. And I wrote the article. I wrote an article for it on Screen Rant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good article. Uh, and I kind of near the end, I kind of detailed where I th- how I think this makes sense in progression. Um, I mean, Aquaman makes a lot of sense because I mean we know it's coming out this year, so you can't right. really change that. Um, but then like Shazam, Wonder Woman, both know are coming out twenty nineteen. Uh, Suicide Squad two is looks like it's gearing up for start a filming potentially based on cast members hitting the gym and training. Um, but it also like that movie did well enough in theaters that it kind of warrants a sequel. And, you know, if Aquaman's 2018, Shazam, Wonder Woman two or 2019, 
Suicide Squad 2 in 2020, that's four years after the first. That's a good time for a sequel. And then pairing that, I think, with Flashpoint that same year makes sense, um, especially if either one of those would be Ben Affleck's final appearance yeah. as Batman. Then the next movie at the gate, Batman. And you can introduce it with Matt Reeves and Jake Gyllenhaal or John Hamm or whoever it is uh, under the cowl next time. You put that in there and I think it makes more sense. And plus, you know, if they, if they, if, as long as they're going two movies a year, if that movie came out the start of 2020, you know what else comes out that year? The Man of Steel sequel. Mm-hmm. So you'd get Batman and Superman same year potentially um, and a sequel for Man of Steel Again, if they're kind of rebooting Batman in a sense with somebody else, um, they kind of rebooted Superman in Justice League. So finally giving him a sequel where he can be that hopeful, optimistic, um, do-gooder that I think a lot of people envision Superman as instead of the, um, the, 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 the torn down, how do I be a superhero, right. um, looking for a light instead of being a light guy that we've got in Man of Steel, BVS, and before he came to light evil version of superman justice league um that makes sense and then nightwing it's chris mckay's been working on that thing for a year Mm -hmm. so i'm guessing he's got to have that script nailed down i don't think he's done any other projects i think he's just been working on this movie yeah so you'd have to assume casting's probably coming around the corner that's what robles teased in his article but also mckay teased something similar a couple months ago that february could be a big month for nightwing so I think it makes just a lot of sense. Um, it seems like a natural progression, and it'd be a way for them, then with a new Batman, to be like, well, here's a new Batman, but also here's his former uh, you know, student, and here's right. him doing his own thing. And in there, you could introduce a Batgirl or a Red Hood or whatever. You can continue to build out the Batverse of the DCU while you do other things as well. Yeah, absolutely. And especially because the Batverse is probably the richest part of DC. Yeah. I mean... I know that's that could be contested in a lot of ways, but that uh, just the characters that, that are in that world are the best. Mm-hmm. From Barbara Gordon to Commissioner Gordon for, to Dick Grayson right. to Damian Damian Wayne Damian and, Wayne. Right? Yeah, I mean all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, is there is there anything on this that you would change? Because looking, I, I I pulled up my, my former slate, and I will say I had nine movies from mm-hmm. 2018 to 2022, and the only one that I got wrong, technically, is I included Green Lanterns, which I still think is probably a movie they're going to make at some point, and then I had a Titans movie slash Cyborg movie, which you could say Nightwing could be that potentially, but otherwise, I got the other seven. So I'm pretty happy with that. I did not think to pull mine up. I think I think Hamada definitely listened to my episode and yeah. Like, All right, <laughs> Cooper. Cooper's got his head on his shoulders. Let's follow his plan, sort of. But I want to get Nightwing in first. Right. I I did not include Man of Steel in mine. I'm pretty I sure. I don't think so. I went all. I tripled, quadrupled down on Batman. Yes. So there's a. Um, you had Batgirl mo- film mo- film missing. There's a Teen Titans uh, Titans film missing off of here as well as well there's the nightwing movie but then also a red hood right combination film to kind of like be the 
Avengers right, part yeah. of the Batman universe. Yeah. You know? So I think the other interesting thing about this then is that according to that, the former slate that or slate in quotes, I guess there was Batgirl, there was Green Lantern, and then there was just like dark. Mm-hmm. So none of those two movies are on here, which isn't totally surprising because only Batgirl has a director. Um, but then, like, this doesn't account for then other sequels. So, like, I'm, Wonder Woman three is going to happen unless something just terrible happens. Wonder Woman two, yeah. And even then, I think W is probably like, all right, well, <laughs> we need to correct ourselves exactly <laughs> and do it anyways. <laughs> so, it would be hard for me to believe that Wonder Woman two would come out twenty night. Well, I guess twenty nineteen. Then have a sequel come out in twenty twenty two, twenty 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 three, which mm-hmm. is <laughs> crazy to kind of think that far ahead. But um, you know that a Shazam sequel. Aquaman sequel, like I think those are things that could change this a little bit. Um, but I think for the most part, I would, um, I would believe this is DC's real slate because it just makes sense based on what they have in production, the people they have assembled. It's not like they have Cyborg in yeah. there, and it's like <laughs> you don't have really anything for Cyborg uh, or like Booster Gold or something. Like mm-hmm. they have movies slotted in here reportedly that have basically directors and stars attached yeah so why wouldn't those be the next ones to go right i mean it's aquaman shazam of course they're one's done with production or almost done with production yeah shazam's just starting and shazam's just starting so sunk costs laws you know all that right. sort of thing <laughs> yeah, of course one way two makes complete sense best critical best box office mm-hmm. or close to the best box office Did it, it be best. bvs it was best okay yeah awesome suicide squad 2 600 million uh, I think it got seven. Seven hundred million and an Oscar win, so of course. <laughs> and then Flashpoint, best beloved character from break Justice out, League. Break out Justice League yeah. Go for it, Batman. Gold Obviously. every time, you know. And then Man of Steel, classic character. Bring mm-hmm. him back. He's new now. He's yeah, like you said. Like I think the, the title the I hope. proposed back in our pitch was Superman Reborn. Because they're not going to call it Man of Steel 2, because if they're rebooting him, I think they'd want to, again, use the Superman name <laughs> to right. sell more, but also uh, distance themselves from Man of Steel kind of in a way mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. No, that sounds, that sounds like you said, right on target to me too. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, again, I hope that DC comes out and confirms this. I, th- I have to believe that Comic-Con at the latest will know what their plans are till 2021 maybe 20 maybe just go 2020 and we'll get two years but i think you have to even though it'd really only be a two movie announcement unless they're squeezing a third movie into 2019 or something but that's what i that's what i think they need to do just so they can but only do that if you know for sure we're doing this because you can't commit you can't do a slate like you did in 2014 and then do all these changes Mm -hmm. you got to do a slate saying, no, we're already in pre-pro on a lot of these. We're doing storyboards. We've got scripts. We've got directors. We've got actors. We just got to wait for schedules to clear, and then we can get them moving. Do it that way, not here are 10 movies we want to make, but we have no idea what they're going to be or who's going to be in them or who's going to direct them or who's going to write them, and then scramble to try to get those movies made in that order. And Hopefully, I think Hamada is figuring out his vision, and he's laying it all out there, and we'll figure that all out officially very very soon yeah you gotta create the long-term incentive for people to care yeah not just free will based off of what makes money what doesn't make money and this seems like betting on 
I mean, making good bets mm-hmm. and then expanding from there. Yeah. So uh, that's all we have for the news. Before we sign off, Josh, what are we going to be reviewing next week? Well, we are going to uh, enter the maze. Yes. Or finally get out of the maze. I think they go back into a maze. They're going... So, okay. so They ran out of a maze. Then they ran out of another maze. And now they're going to run in into a maze. So you're saying it's a maze inside of a maze. It's kind of confusing, but maybe. Is it a maze tricks? No, that was <laughs> no. a bad pun. The Maze Runner, The Death Cure. Yes. Uh, I have not seen either two films, but Dylan O'Brien is there. Um, Kaya Scott-Alaria is there. Kaya Scott-Alaria is there. Salazar. Um, so I a lot of good people. I'm interested in it, uh, but that's as far as I can go. I don't know. I've not seen the other ones, but... The trailers haven't really impressed you? They haven't really impressed me. Just kind of been like... Okay. <laughs> Sci-fi. How about you? You've got any kind of investment emotionally? Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen the first two. Um, like both of them. But if you've been listening to the podcast over the last couple of months, you know, you've heard us talk about the trailers for the Death Cure. You know they haven't really been that impressive. So um, my, we- my expectations are pretty low at this point i don't know if you know this but there is this really cool train scene that i'm supposedly here happens in the movie really i i didn't know that (laughs) it's not like they start every trailer and use that (laughs) train sequence for half the trailer every time but um Uh, but yeah i'm still hoping that it it at least closes it out on a good note because this is a franchise i've enjoyed i think it's an underrated one um but I think just because of the delays, O'Brien's injury, um, and maybe the steam running out on the young adult genre. Dystopian young adult future. Uh, uh, I could see this just being like, if you want to use a train metaphor, it come just like s- slowly rolling to a halt instead of like, we're going full stop, and then you slam on the brakes. Yeah. It's like, I think it's just going to slowly come to an end. And you're like, okay. That sounds about right. Running that, out of steam. That was it. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Um, but we'll also be back this week with uh, another edition of The Big Question. Thanks for everybody who's listened to them so far. They've been really good. Um, I mean, not in terms of the content. I think we've done a good job with the discussions, but also they've done well in terms of you guys listening to them. So we appreciate that. And this week... We're just going to touch on a movie, a little movie um, called Solo Star Wars Story. You guys probably haven't even heard of it, um, but that's what we're going to be discussing and basically whether or not we're worried about it because we now don't have a synopsis, but we still have no trailer. You know, we're going to kind of run through a whole bunch of different sections of it and I uh, hope you guys will enjoy that. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, head over to iTunes, give us a five-star review with comments. During our time away, be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything covered by us at Friends of Film, where you'll see updates on podcasts, movies, and more. You can find Percy on Twitter at MovieCooper and Coops underscore Hoops. And you can get at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film podcast. Josh. Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn next week for our review of Maze Runner, The Death Cure.